You're listening to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We hope this message brings you encouragement and helps to build your faith in Jesus. We're glad you're here to listen to this message from Pastor Paul. So let me set up what we're going to be talking about today, because we're going to look at the Bible in general, and then we're going to get into specific parts of the Bible. Uh, At the time that it was written, about 25% of the Bible was prophetic in nature, meaning that it foreshadowed, it predicted, it promised in great detail an event that God was going to bring to pass to show that not only does he know the future, but he is sovereign over the future. And many of these promises, these prophecies and their fulfillment are the threads that tie in all the various parts of Scripture. And we're going to look at several of these promises, these prophecies today. We can't look at all of them because there are over 300 of them. But what we will see when we look at these is that the Old Testament promises, these prophecies, are that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the fulfillment of all of these Old Testament promises. But first, let me give you a couple of things Jesus said that are very important before we just launch into this. The first one is from Matthew 5, 17. Jesus said, do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. What Jesus is saying is the whole Old Testament, all of those promises and prophecies are about me. Secondly, in John chapter 5, we saw this recently. At a time when there were some religious leaders arguing with Jesus in regard to Scripture. And he tells them this. You study the Scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very Scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. What Jesus is saying is you really don't understand what the Bible is all about. Because unless you read it and connect it to me, you don't get it. That means Jesus is the only one who makes sense of the Bible. And you can go to church. You can go to religion. You can go to a cult or even a group, even if they use the Bible. But if they are not primarily connecting that Bible to Jesus then it's not making any sense and you're not receiving a good teaching because according to scripture, good teaching is all about Jesus. All of that to say is that the Old Testament points to Jesus and the New Testament shows us how these promises from the Old Testament are fulfilled in the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he is the long-awaited Messiah. So we're going to look at several of these amazing promises that were raised hundreds of years before Jesus was even born. Now, the first one comes from Genesis 3.15. But before we get there, this is going to be a promise that Jesus is going to be born a male. So automatically that narrows down half the human race. Before we go any further, I need you to know this. The Bible is true absolutely true. That means that there is no other book like this that is truly inspired by God the Holy Spirit. 
That means the Bible is God's infallible word. It is his timeless truth for our truthless times. And the Bible states, God's word declares that there are two genders and there are only two genders, male and female. Our culture is all about what we think, what we feel. Instead, I want you to think biblically, accurately, according to God's provision. So the coming Messiah would be born a male, and that automatically lowers our pool of candidates for who this Messiah would be to half the human race. And that he would have a mother just like us, except for uh, an important detail that we'll see in Isaiah in a few moments. So here's the context. In the beginning, God made us male and female. Everything was wonderful, glorious, good. In the meantime, Satan had rebelled against God and tempts our first parents. They then rebel against God and they sin. The result? They have separated themselves from God and they are doomed for death. But God doesn't leave them that way. He comes to Adam and Eve and he speaks to them in Genesis chapter 3 and he promises that Jesus will come, a male born of a female, to defeat Satan and fix the sin problem that we all suffer from. So right from the beginning of creation, here it is, Genesis 3.15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, God is speaking to Satan, and between your offspring and hers, he, meaning Jesus, will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So Jesus will come as a male, born of a woman. He'll have great conflict with Satan and Satan will injure him. But ultimately, Jesus will conquer and crush Satan. It moves on, Genesis does, to talk about a man named Abram whose name was changed to Abraham and how Jesus would be in the fulfillment of the line of that family. That Jesus would come from Abraham's son, Isaac, not a son Ishmael. He would come through his grandson, Jacob, not his grandson, Esau. So here, the covenant, the promise, the blessing of Jesus. He's going to come through that family line of Abraham. Well, again, we are narrowing it down, looking at the fact that Jesus is going to come through this family line. Well, here could be a potential problem. The grandson, Abraham's grandson, Jacob, has 12 sons of his own. So now all of a sudden, man, that's a lot. But God chooses just one of those sons to carry on the line of the generation from which Jesus will descend, and he picks Judah. Here is Genesis 49.10. The scepter, which is the symbol of the king, it's depicting here that Jesus is a king, will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, 
until he to whom it belongs shall come and the obedience of the nations shall be his. So this person who's coming will rule over all nations of the world. So, okay, here we are to this point. Jesus will come as a male born from a female. He will come from the family line of Abraham through the son Isaac. Not Ishmael. Through the grandson Jacob. Not Esau. And then through Judah, not any of the other 11 sons. So we're really narrowing down the coming of Jesus and we're getting a clear picture of the family from which he will descend. This is clearly mapped out for us in a genealogy in Matthew chapter one. You'll see there that Jesus comes through this family line. Furthermore, in Isaiah 7:14, 7, 700 years before the birth of Jesus, this is the third prophecy I'll share with you. We're told more specific details about Jesus' mother, that she would be a virgin. Needless to say, the pool of candidates is getting really narrowly focused. Here is that passage. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Was that fulfilled in Jesus? Yes. When he was born, he was called Emmanuel. We sang it in church last Sunday, O come, O come, Emmanuel. If it's in the song, it's got to be true. Well, Jesus' mother, Mary, was a virgin. It's all in fulfillment of this prophecy conceived by a miracle of the Holy Spirit, and she gave birth to Jesus, who was and is God with us. Moving on, in Micah 5.2, again, several hundred years before the birth of Jesus, Micah declares this, but you, Bethlehem, that's the city, Ephrathah, that's the region, the area in which Bethlehem is located, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times, in other words, from eternity. So now the eternal God is coming into human history and he will be born in the rural town of Bethlehem. Many of you know the story. Were Mary and Joseph living there at the time? Is that where they were living? No. They were in Nazareth, about 90 miles to the north. You're thinking, well, that's like an hour's drive for me in a car. All right, well, cars weren't invented for another 1,900 years. So they had to walk. Maybe Mary rode on a donkey. You know, we always depict that, right? The Bible never tells us, but we assume Joseph, being a, a good husband, would have allowed Mary to, to ride. But still, there was walking 90 miles over a lot of hilly terrain. She is nine months pregnant. This would have taken the better part of a week to make that journey. So what prompted it? Well, again, just to show you that God rules over human history. The Roman emperor at the time decides 
we need to take a census for tax purposes. So everyone has to be enrolled. You have to register for tax purposes. And how that would work is that you would have to go to your family's hometown, your family's town of origin. Well, Jesus' adoptive father, Joseph, he's from the family, the, the tribe of David, whose hometown is what city? Bethlehem. Hmm. So Mary and Joseph have to go from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And just at the time, she was ready to give birth to Jesus. They arrive there for the census. And lo and behold, just as Micah promised, Jesus was born in the town of Bethlehem. The fifth prophecy I want to share is about the fact that Jesus' life would be sinless. We're told by Isaiah, again, 700 years before Jesus was born, Isaiah 53, 9 says this, he was assigned a grave with the wicked, with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Meaning Jesus was killed, though he had done nothing wrong. He had never said anything wrong. He had never acted wrong. The Messiah would be sinless. He would be perfect. Jesus is the fulfillment of this. No one else is perfect but Jesus. So, we're looking for a man born of a woman from the family of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Judah who would come from a mother who's a virgin, born in Bethlehem, and never commit any sin. Right. Huh, I wonder who that could be. <laughs> Additionally, we're told that another would prepare the way for his coming so that no one would miss it. This is Isaiah 40, verse 3. A voice of one calling. In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And in Malachi 3.1, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Who would that be but John the Baptist, Jesus' weird cousin? I mean, this is the guy that grew up in the wilderness, had camel hair clothing, and had a weird diet. And he comes and he preaches, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. The Lord is coming, prepare your hearts. And with that, John the Baptist is fulfilling these two promises, these two prophecies from Isaiah and from Micah. I mean Malachi, that Jesus is here. Not only that, if we read the rest of Malachi 3, 1... We're told that Jesus would have to come and appear at the, at the temple. Here's what it says. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. Now this is about 450 years before Jesus was born. The Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. This is an amazing prophecy. Because those of you who know Jewish history, when was the temple in Jerusalem destroyed? What year? 
70 AD. Okay, so now we have a deadline. Whoever this Messiah is has to come before 70 AD because he's coming to his temple that was destroyed in 70 AD. And another one has never been built since. That's been almost 2,000 years. The eighth prophecy. In Zechariah chapter 9, 500 years before Jesus was born, we read this. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Did that happen in Jesus' life? Did he ride into Jerusalem like a triumphant king on the back of a young donkey celebrated by people who cheered his entry? Yes. The scriptures tell us that's exactly what happened on Palm Sunday. Again, these are amazing, carefully given details of how God is revealing to us here. He wants us to be very clear to understand that Jesus is our Savior. Jesus is God. Jesus is the Messiah. Isaiah goes on to say that Jesus would be abused. Isaiah 50 verse 6. I offered my back to those who beat me. Was Jesus' back beaten? Yes, beyond recognition. If you ever saw the movie, The Passion of the Christ, it has one of the most accurate depictions of what Jesus would have gone through and how his back was traumatized, how he almost died just from the flogging itself. That same verse goes on to say, I offered my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard, which in that culture was a, a sign of, of robbing somebody of their dignity, humiliating them. That happened to Jesus. Sadly, it did. It also says this, I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. Was Jesus mocked? Yes with things like, hail king of the Jews. Was he spit upon? Yes. Furthermore, we are told that Jesus would be hated, rejected. This is hard for us to imagine because we really, truly love and receive Jesus, but it says in Isaiah 53, 3, he was despised, and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering, familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. You see, it was promised that people would hate Jesus. It was promised that people would reject Jesus, despise Jesus, oppose Jesus. And they did. And that tragic prophecy was fulfilled in very painstaking detail, and it's recorded by the New Testament writers. But why? Why would Jesus go through all of this? To proceed forward as serving God faithfully 
on his mission to die and rise for sinners like you and me. And that leads us to the final fulfillment that I want to share with you today. Just two verses later in Isaiah 53, 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, our sins. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. By his wounds, we are healed. This is a foreshadowing of Jesus. When Jesus shows up, John the Baptist tells us, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Apostle Paul put it this way, for Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. The whole point of Passover was to show that Jesus Christ was coming as our substitute. Though he was innocent, he did not deserve death. He took it on for us. His blood shed for our sins so that the wrath of God would literally pass over us. And we don't sacrifice animals anymore because according to Hebrews 10, Jesus is the sacrifice for all sin. So we don't need sacrifices. We need Jesus. Just Jesus. And he rose from death. And again, you have to confess, even if you're not a Christian, we really whittled down the list of possible candidates to fulfill these prophecies. You've got to find a man whose mom was a virgin, born in Bethlehem before 70 AD, died and is still alive. It's a very short list. Even if you went to a public university, you'd say, hey, there's a short list of candidates right there. In other words, give me one other person who would fulfill this resume. You know, there's only one. Jesus is the fulfillment of all these prophecies. I only gave you 10. There are over 300. And not only that, but we're told this in Mark 16, 19. He was taken up into heaven and he sat at the right hand of God. And this completes the full circle ministry of Jesus. From heaven to earth to death to burial to resurrection to ascension back at the right hand of the Father. So here's the conclusion of the matter. Scripture is inspired of God. This is God's information. There's no other way that this many authors, some 40-some authors, over the course of writing of almost 1,500 years, with these prophecies that were given anywhere from 450 to 1,000 years before Jesus was ever born, and yet they are absolutely accurate and detailed portraits of Jesus. It shows that only God knows the future. God controls the future. God reveals the future. 
and God has in Scripture. That's why we love the Bible, because it's true. It's from God, and it's about Jesus. The whole point of the Bible is Jesus. He is the centerpiece of Scripture. He is the centerpiece of history. He is the centerpiece of Christianity. He is the centerpiece of Benton Heights Presbyterian Church. So I must ask, is he the centerpiece of your life? Do you believe the promises of Scripture? Is Jesus your Savior? Do you believe that he is the one and only Messiah God with us? Do you believe that he is the only one to deal with our sin and our death and our life and our world? And that he is bringing the kingdom of God. If you believe that, then you're a Christian. If not, you've got to know the most wonderful thing in the world, and that is this. God loves you. And God has done everything to take away your sin. And God has done everything to reconcile you to himself. And it's all been accomplished through Jesus, who on the cross said, it is finished. He has taken care of everything. And now you simply trust in the person and work of Jesus Christ. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, our website, bhprez.org, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on all our latest content.